Want more Bizarre Albums? Sign up at patreon.com slash bizarre albums to get weekly bonus episodes of the new companion show, B-Sides. Go a little deeper on each album every week on B-Sides. That's patreon.com slash bizarre albums. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music from 1975. Lou Reed was born on March 2, 1942 in Brooklyn, New York. Growing up on Long Island, his family was Jewish. His father had changed his last name from Rabinowitz to Reed. Here's Lou Reed talking about his days on Long Island on Elvis Costello Spectacle in 2008. Out on the island, uh, I had a, a little amp and a guitar. And I played it, I learned to play it from the radio, or 45s. And since I had it, I was in band since I was about 14. In 1958, Reed was a member of a doo-wop group called The Jades, playing guitar and singing backup vocals. After receiving a great crowd response in a school talent show, The Jades got a chance to record a single later that year. The session was produced by Bob Shad, who brought in saxophonist King Curtis to play on both songs. That same year, Curtis had also played saxophone on The Coaster's number one hit, Yakety Yak. That session, the group recorded So Blue, written by Phil Harris and Lou Reed, here credited as Lewis Reed, and the B-side, Leave Her For Me, written solely by Reed. The single never charted, but it got played by a substitute DJ during Murray the K's New York City radio show, giving Lou Reed his first ever radio airplay. Walk down to your house last night. Reed would go on to study film directing, journalism, and creative writing at Syracuse University in the early 1960s. He was also a platoon leader in the campus ROTC unit. In 1978, Reed told Time Magazine that he wanted out of his military commitment, so he held an unloaded gun to his commanding officer's head, which of course got him expelled from the program. In 1964, Reed moved to New York City to become an in-house composer for Pickwick Records. The following year, he wrote and recorded the single The Ostrich, which was a parody of several popular dance songs of that era. The Pickwick higher-ups thought the song had some potential, so a band was assembled and the single was released and credited to the Primitives. Through this single, Reed coined what would become known as the ostrich guitar, or ostrich tuning. 
This technique created a drone effect by tuning each string of the guitar to the same note. One of the musicians hired for the Primitives touring group was John Cale. Cale was impressed with Reed and a partnership evolved. Reed and Cale moved in together in New York City and began to collaborate, further investigating ostrich tuning and drone music. Eventually, they invited Reed's college friend, guitarist Sterling Morrison, and Cale's neighbor, drummer Angus McLeese, to join them in what would eventually become the Velvet Underground. Though drummer McLeese would actually quit the band before they even played their first gig and was replaced by Mo Tucker. The Velvet Underground soon came to the attention of artist Andy Warhol. Warhol, alongside film director Paul Morrissey, started acting as the band's manager. Here's Andy Warhol in the Velvet Underground Night Games documentary. We're sponsoring a new band. It's called the Velvet Underground. And uh, when, since I don't really believe in painting anymore, I thought it would be a nice way of combining, uh, and we have this chance to combine music and, and art and uh, films all together. And, uh, and we're sort of working on that. And well, the whole thing is being auditioned tomorrow at 9 o'clock. And if it works out, it might be very glamorous. Lou Reed often spoke of Andy Warhol being a mentor. It was Warhol who pushed the band to add German model Nico. She sang three songs for their debut album, The Velvet Underground and Nico, in 1967. Warhol also painted the album's cover and is credited as the producer, though he had very little influence beyond paying for its recording. The album got little notice at the time, with a short life on the charts peaking at number 171. As the decades have gone on, the album is considered highly influential, and Rolling Stone even ranked it at number 13 on the greatest records of all time. But the band wouldn't last long. By the time they made their second record one year later, Nico had already quit the band and Warhol had been fired. Members came and went over the next few years, including Reed, who left the band in 1971 after their fourth album. He then signed a solo recording contract with RCA Records, releasing his self-titled debut album in 1972. It was a highly anticipated album, but was a critical and commercial disappointment, peaking at number 189. Reed would see a commercial breakthrough in 1972 with the release of his second album, Transformer. The album was co-produced by Mick Ronson and David Bowie and featured the single Walk on the Wild Side, which peaked at number 16 in 1973, and it was Lou Reed's only ever charting hustle single. Hustle here and a hustle there. New York City is the place where they said, Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. I said, Hey, Joe, take a walk on the wild side. In 1974... Reed released his highest-charting album, Sally Can't Dance, which spent 14 weeks on the Billboard 200 chart, peaking at number 10. This time, he produced the album himself, alongside co-producer Steve Katz of the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Sing along with Lou Reed on his new album, Sally Can't Dance, on RCA Records and Tape. Though the album was his highest-charting yet, it received poor reviews, and only its title track received some slight airplay. But RCA Records felt his career was peaking in that moment, and they insisted on a quick follow-up album. 
his contract required the label to release whatever he turned in. And the album he turned in would be the last thing the label had hoped for. In July of 1975, Lou Reed released Metal Machine Music on RCA Records. I was born in the United States. I grew up hard, but I grew up straight. Now, this is another double album this week, but this one's not going to be a two-part episode. Uh, and if you don't know anything about this album, you're about to learn why this double album only needs one episode. To put it simply, this album is 64 minutes and 11 seconds of feedback and guitar effects. Before I take a break from my sponsors, I want to say that I actually bought this record earlier this year from the Berkeley, California location of Amoeba Records. And it was announced just yesterday on April 20th, 2020, that due to Amoeba's temporary closing because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Amoeba now needs help to survive. They've set up a GoFundMe to keep their three locations going. I've already posted the link on the Bizarre Albums Twitter and Instagram accounts, at Bizarre Albums, so you can find the link there to help out if you can. Give to their GoFundMe or go buy some records at Amoeba.com. All of that will help save these amazing record stores. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each side of the album is one track. Here's a section of Metal Machine Music, Part 1. The album is subtitled The Amin Beta Ring, with the cover also adding an electronic instrumental composition. The story of how and why it came to be is a bit unclear, with several unconfirmed rumors floating around over the years. The most popular theory is that Reed did this to get out of his RCA contract. What makes the album even more of a mystery? Reed made the album entirely on his own. There was no recording studio, no session musicians, no recording engineer. It was recorded entirely in Reed's Manhattan loft. Many of the rumors about the album have come from Reed himself. He was addicted to meth at the time of its recording. In the 2014 book Transformer, The Complete Lou Reed Story by Victor Bacris, there's a quote from Reed saying, I put out metal machine music precisely to put a stop to all of it. It was a giant fuck you. I wanted to clear the air and get rid of those fucking assholes who show up and yell vicious and walk on the wild side, end quote. In 2007, Reed told a very different story to Pitchfork, saying, quote, The myth is sort of better than the truth. The myth is that I made it to get out of a recording contract. Okay, but the truth is that I wouldn't do that, because I wouldn't want you to buy a record that I didn't really like, that I was just trying to do a legal thing with. I wouldn't do something like that. The truth is that I really, really, really loved it. End quote. 
Here's a little of Metal Machine Music Part 2. Metal Machine Music is said to have lost Reed a lot of credibility in the music industry. But it also opened the door for more experimental work. The album would also serve as a huge inspiration for Sonic Youth frontman Thurston Moore. Here he is in the 2013 documentary Lou Reed Remembered. I figured like nobody would really talk about Metal Machine Music and like how significant that record was. And to me that record was completely fantastic. I mean, there was no such thing as a noise record, and that was the first noise record I ever heard. And it was by Lou Reed, who was supposed to be doing Sally Can't Dance Part 2, and it certainly wasn't that. Reed has also made claims that he placed sonic allusions to Beethoven pieces in the distortion on metal machine music, and that he had tried to get the record to be released on RCA's classical label Red Seal. The back of the album has a list of specifications, the type of equipment that Reed had used to make the sounds. In reality... The recording only involved microphones, some amplifiers with guitars leaning against them, and a tape machine. The album's liner notes feature a note from Reed to the listener, at one point saying, Most of you won't like this. I don't blame you at all. It's not meant for you. Here's more from Sonic Youth's Thurston Moore. I just figured like it was going to sound like the way it looked. You know, which is like this total like badass kind of like glitter rock Lou Reed on the cover with his leather jacket and that cover was just beautiful. And then those liner notes were just so striking and, and kind of just like, you know, my week beats your year. He ends those liner notes. I mean, it was like, what a, what a thing to say. And then the review of Metal Machine Music, it just had the word no <laughs> written on like a hundred times. <laughs> it's true. The reviews weren't kind. Rolling Stone's review said the album sounded like a tubular groaning of a galactic refrigerator later calling it the worst album by a human being in their year-end issue. The Boston Globe's William Howard called the album an appalling ripoff. All right, you get the idea. On its original vinyl release... Sides 1, 2, and 3 were listed as each being 16 minutes and 1 second long, with side 4 reading 16 minutes and 1 second or infinity. This is because the album's mastering engineer, Bob Ludwig, created a locked groove in the vinyl, allowing it to play for as long as you let it. Believe it or not, the album sold 100,000 copies, but many of those copies were almost immediately returned, and the record was removed from stores after about three weeks. The album didn't get a CD release until the early 90s in Japan, Europe, and the UK, and finally getting a compact disc release in the US in the year 2000. In the year 2000. Lou Reed would even end up performing Metal Machine Music live in March of 2002 for a festival in Berlin, Germany. In 2008, Reed even formed the Metal Machine Trio. The group would rehearse to test ideas, but all of their performances were improvised. 
today, the album is actually considered by some to be a forerunner of noise rock and industrial music. And it's not the only noise album released by a rock and roll hall of famer. In 1991, a live album of feedback, guitar noise, and vocal fragments edited together from a 1991 U.S. tour was released by Neil Young and Crazy Horse. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums.